Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Today, we're kicking off this series we're calling it Living in the Future, and um, I think yesterday kind of felt a little bit like we got to live in the future of summer that is coming, right? It snowed on Monday, and then it was like 80 yesterday. The sun broke out, which means that I got a sunburn because I don't plan well, and I don't know what it is. This has nothing to do with the talk. I'm just talking right now, but uh, for some reason, I always get sunburned, but it like happens on my neck first, <laughs> so like my neck gets real crispy, and then the rest of me gets like kind of red. And uh, I told my wife that it's just my true nature coming out. I don't know. But anyway, I think I've recovered today. I feel the, like, sun sleepiness. I don't know if you guys got that a little bit if you were out and about. But uh, that's not what we're talking about today at all. Uh, When we're talking about the future, I'm a person who loves to think about the future. I've always kind of been this way. Like, I don't know if you were like this as a kid, but I was always excited to get to the next thing. So, like, when I was a little kid, uh, I feel like three or four maybe was the sweet spot of life. But then after that, it's like, oh, cool, I'm going to kindergarten. Like, let's do that. And, and then it was like, cool, we're going to go to middle school. And then you go to middle school, and you're like, this is not cool. So then you, like, go to high school, and that's cool. You're like, I can't wait to drive, right? And then I'm going to go to college, and it's going to be amazing. And I feel like I'm always looking at the next thing and always looking forward to the future. I like uh, envisioning what could be true of my life. I, I've talked about it before. New Year's, I always get excited. It's like, what's going to happen in this next year? What does the future hold for me? And uh, I don't know where this comes from for me specifically. I think maybe one uh, piece of the puzzle is I was really into the Back to the Future trilogy. Any Back to the Future fans here? So it confused me the first movie because they go to the past. And I'm like, but I thought it was Back to the Future. And then I was way too old when I realized, oh, he has to get back to the future. But I've realized uh, that the second movie, if you're a nerd like me and you know, it's actually already happened. Like, the news today is you are literally living in the future according to 1989, uh, whoever made the movie, I don't even remember, sorry, I'm not a good fan, but uh, because the date that Marty McFly goes to in Back to the Future 2, when he actually does go into the future, was October 21st of 2015. So not only are we living in the future, we're like seven years in to the future, and uh, the amazing thing about this movie is they actually got some things right. Like, I don't know if you remember it uh, in detail, but they had like a lot of wearable technology and a lot of us do that now. You've got smart watches or whatever your Fitbit or whatever your thing is. Uh, So they predicted that. Uh, They predicted how we were gonna get through 2020 because if you remember, there's the scene where Marty McFly has his video conference with his boss. We did that for a year, remember? Some of us are still doing it. Like that's what work looks like now. Uh, The one difference is in the movie, there are fax machines built into every wall uh, because in the 80s they believed fax was it, like we had reached the pinnacle with the fax machine. Uh, but if you remember the movie, like he gets fired and it spits out all the little things everywhere, like you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. If I spoiled it, you had plenty of time. So uh, anyway, we are literally living in the future right now. My only bummer is we don't have that really cool hoverboard. I know we're trying, but nothing can beat it. But anyway, uh, this isn't a series about technology either. We actually are going to do a series about technology in just a few weeks following this series. So uh, if that's interesting to you, I hope you come back for the additional weeks of this series. But uh, in a few weeks, we're going to talk about technology and our faith and how those things actually intersect because it's a part of the world that we live in. But that's not what this is about. Uh, Instead, what we're talking about when we talk about living in the future, we're talking about what it means for us to live in light of what happened at Easter. That uh, when we celebrate Easter, it's not meant to be this like once a year, one time event that we like celebrate on Resurrection Sunday and then go back to life as normal on Monday, but that what happened at that very first Easter 
actually changed everything for Jesus's first century followers, that it was not business as usual for them, that they were actually invited into something brand new in light of Jesus's resurrection, in light of what happened. And just for a second, like I want you to imagine with me what it must have been like for them, not on Easter Sunday, that very first resurrection Sunday, but what was it like in the days following? Like imagine the women who were at the tomb, I could see them waking up that next Monday and being like, did that really happen? right? Was this just like some weird grief-induced dream or hallucination that I had? Like, was he really there in the garden? Is this really possible? Uh, imagine with me Jesus's disciples who prior to the resurrection were fearful. They were hiding. They thought that they were going to be next, right? That what happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. And then suddenly they break out and they're brave. They're going out and they're, they're talking about Jesus in a new way. They're doing new things. They're stepping out with a totally different posture. In fact, there's an account uh, in one of the Gospels where there's two men who are leaving the city of Jerusalem because Jesus has died and they think the movement is over. And they're actually kind of mourning and talking about uh, how great Jesus was, but turns out he was just another failed Messiah like all the others who had come before. And then suddenly a man starts walking with them. And lo and behold, by the end of the story, they realize that is the resurrected Jesus who is walking with them the entire time. And for them, nothing could be the same. In fact, they were leaving Jerusalem in that moment. Jesus shows up and they turn around and they go back because they're like, it's a new day. Something new has happened. And here's what I want you to see today. It's that Easter didn't just happen to Jesus's first disciples, right? It wasn't just like, cool, that was fun. Back to life as normal. Easter changed everything for them. It changed the trajectory of their lives. And what I hope you can see as we go throughout this series is that it's meant to do the same for us. Easter isn't just supposed to be something that we celebrate once a year, but the impact of Easter, of Jesus being alive and God doing something new in the world is supposed to guide and to shape our lives as we move forward as well. Uh, the theologian N.T. Wright uh, talks about this and why the stakes are so high. He says, what we say about death and resurrection gives shape and color to everything else. If we are not careful, we'll offer merely a hope that is no longer a surprise, no longer generated by the resurrection of Jesus himself, and looking forward to the promised new heavens and new earth. In other words, it is easy and it's tempting for us to drift into a lesser version of the story, to offer hope that's not really hope. And uh, the way that we understand resurrection is actually important because it shapes the, we, the way that we understand where the world is going and our part in it. It's how we understand what Jesus did and what it means for us that can actually shape everything about us. And we actually talked about this a few weeks ago. We did a series called What Do We Really Believe? And one of the things we talked about was life after this life. And in that series, we said that the ultimate hope for Jesus followers, it's not us like disembodied floating on some cloud with a really cool robe and a harp for all of eternity singing songs that we may or may not actually like, but that the ultimate hope as it's revealed through scripture is that God is going to go back to his creation project. He's going to recreate the world. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth, and God is going to dwell with us. And that's the trajectory that he has our world on. And the beginning of that happened at Easter. That at Easter, it was actually Jesus beginning the recreation project of the world. And in the way that he was resurrected, all of us and everything that we experience will in some way be resurrected or Pastor and author Tim Keller says it this way. This is kind of where we got the title for the series. He says, in the resurrection, we have the presence of the future, the power by which God will finally destroy all suffering, evil, deformity, and death at the end of time has broken into history now and is available partially but substantially now. When we unite with the risen Christ by faith, that future power is potent enough to remake the universe comes into us. 
That's a lot, right? That's a big statement. He's saying that the very power that raised Jesus from the dead can actually live in us. That same resurrection power is available to us and that when we join with God in the new things that he's doing, we actually join him in building the future, in telling the story that we're all headed towards in the end. Or the apostle Paul declares that it's already happening. He wrote uh, wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, and he was kind of reflecting on Jesus' resurrection and, and what it all meant and what it meant specifically for them. And he makes this statement. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, like God's already started the recreation project in you. You're a part of that. You are something brand new, and you are a taste of what God is going to do for all of us. And like I said at the beginning, I get kind of geeked out about the future. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's kind of a crazy thing that us as human beings, we get to make our future. We get to choose our future. In fact, uh, there's a pastor named Erwin McManus, and he talks about how uh, like ants make anthills, but humans make futures. That's the thing that we naturally produce is wherever our world heads to next. He says uh, this, that what makes us uniquely human is that we materialize the invisible. They, here's what that means practically. It means you can like, picture in your mind right now a perfectly seared steak on your grill. Right? You can see it. You can probably even taste it a little bit if you think about it enough. And you have the power as a human being to go to Kroger, buy the steak, light up your grill, and cook it this afternoon. And that thing that you just imagined will become a reality if you cook it right. Right? Like... <laughs> Like, that's possible for you. And in a bigger way, that we can imagine our future. We can imagine our future self. It's this remarkable thing that the image of God is pressed in us, and we do that. And the idea of this series is that God is building the future, but he actually invites us to build the future with him. He wants us, as his followers, to be a part of his recreation project. And Easter shouldn't just be this one-time event, but it's this movement that we join in as God restores and recreates everything. And as I was thinking about this idea of us leaving something old and stepping into something new, I was reminded of 2020 and just the craziness of that year. And in fact, in March of 2020, there was a poem that was published that I remember reading. I don't know if you've uh, heard this before or not, or maybe saw it on social media. It's written by Kitty O'Mara, and I'm going to read it for you in just a second. But it went viral in March of 2020, just a week or two into that whole pandemic thing that we said was going to last a week or two. Right? It went viral, and Oprah picked it up, so you know it was a big deal. And uh, she just writes about what could have been possible in that season, in that moment. So remember with me what March of 2020 felt like. The NBA just canceled, right? And you're like, what is happening in my life? Here's what Kitty O'Mara wrote. She said, and the people stayed home and read books and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played games and learned new ways of being and were still and listened more deeply. Some meditated, some prayed, some danced, some met their shadows and the people began to think differently and the people healed. And in the absence of people living in ignorant, dangerous, mindless, and heartless ways, the earth began to heal. And when the danger passed and the people joined together again, they grieved their losses and made new choices and dreamed new images and created new ways to live and heal the earth fully as they had been healed. That was Kate, uh, sorry, Kitty's vision of what 
was possible in that moment as she imagined what we all kind of felt, that something disruptive was happening. And we didn't know how disruptive. We still maybe don't know how disruptive. I feel like we're still kind of in that like rebuilding phase of what is normal, what is life, right? Like how do we do things, how much changed and how much hasn't changed. But I love that image that she presented that it's possible in the moment of disruption, right? That moment, it was possible that maybe we could let go of some things that we weren't supposed to hold on to. In that season where we were all asking what's essential and non-essential, maybe we could let go of some things that are not essential but that we've held on to too tightly. I love the power of that moment. I can remember believing that in that moment, that that could be possible. Now, whether or not that's what happened, time will tell, right? We'll keep working through it for the next however long. But I think what Katie, or what Katie scratched the surface of is that there's this longing in all of us for the old things to go away and for something new to happen. Right? All of us have experienced some pain or some brokenness, and we think, man, it, it doesn't have to be that way. Right? There's this longing for the old world, for those broken things to go away, and for something new to be born in its place. And it made me think, again, of my experience in 2020, but it also made me think about what it must have been like for those first century followers on the other side of Easter Sunday. Right? Something happened. It disrupted everything for them. It didn't make sense. They didn't know if it was going to last two weeks or continue lasting on as it does. And if you remember, last week we talked about how the women were going to Jesus' tomb. And they were going to anoint his body. It was a traditional thing that, that they were going to do. But they got there and realized the stone was rolled away. And they were trying to make sense of it. They assumed somebody stole Jesus' body. And so they ran and they got Peter and John, two of Jesus' followers. And so they ran to the tomb and they looked inside and they saw that there was no body. And then the text tells us that Peter and John actually left and they went back to where they were hiding. And they just tried to work it out. Like, what in the world is possibly happening? But one woman, Mary Magdalene, a woman who had a reputation in town, a woman who would have been known as a sinner, stood outside of the tomb weeping. And as she was standing there, eventually she noticed who she thought was the gardener standing there. And she turned to the gardener and she asked, do you know where they've taken Jesus? Do you know where they've taken his body? And the gardener eventually responds, but he simply says her name. He says, Mary. And in that moment, Mary realizes that's not the gardener. That's actually Jesus resurrected right there in front of her. And the text doesn't exactly tell us what happens in the next moment, but I can imagine the joy that came across her, right? I can imagine the, the excitement that she felt. And I picture that she ran up and she embraced Jesus and held on to him because she saw him again, right? She didn't think that that was going to happen. She thought that she had lost him, but she saw him in that moment. And I can imagine she ran and she embraced him. And then Jesus says this in response. Jesus says, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. It, it kind of feels like Jesus missed the moment, right? Like, like Mary is embracing him, I can picture, and, and feeling so much joy, but Jesus warns her. He says, hey, don't cling to me because God is still doing something, right? He's going to ascend and, and power is going to fall and the church is going to be born and Jesus knows all this. But in that moment, he gives this warning that I think is so important for Mary and I think can be so important for us, right? For her in that moment, the death of Jesus meant that everything she loved about Jesus was gone. And in that next moment, as she sees him in the garden, she's embracing him. I can imagine she was thinking he's back, right? Everything that I loved about him is back. But Jesus instead is actually saying, no, 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 we're moving into something new. Right? I am here, I am moving, but we're not going back to what we had. Something new is happening in the world. And often I think we're tempted to not step into God's future 
because we long so badly to hold on to the way things were. We long so badly to hold on to the past, to cling to our comfort from the past, to cling to our expectations of the past, to cling to the things that we knew and and that we loved about our old way of being. And often, I think it's not just the things that we love from the past that we hold on to, but what I want to talk about with the rest of our time today is we're kind of just setting up this idea of what it means to live into the future, is that often the things that we hold on to the most are the wounds and the resentments and the grudges that happened as we navigated through difficult things, right? Just like Jesus went through death and resurrection. We all go through death and resurrection in life, and it can be easy as we go through the dark moments of life to let things like pain and wounds shape our life and to hold on to those things, and then we find ourselves struggling to step into something new with God because we're holding on to all of that stuff that we were never meant to carry. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus had to do this too, right? Jesus had pain and resentment and things that I can imagine he was tempted to carry with him as he went through death and resurrection. In fact, Jesus on the cross has this moment And I can remember hearing about this as a kid and thinking, like, of course he did this. He's Jesus. But Jesus, as he's dying on the cross, right, people mocking him, the soldiers who nailed him there, standing there, Jesus looks at the the scene and he says this. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And again, in that moment, as a kid, I always thought, like, yeah, of course you would, Jesus. Like, you're that good, and you're just showing off how incredible you are. And I think there is an element of that that's true. But for a second, think about Jesus the human right, literally on the cross, dying in that moment, and think about the resentments that he likely carried in that moment. I mean, his friends abandoned him. They weren't even there at the scene. They, they were hiding. They were afraid for their own lives. They left him there. It, the community denied him. It, just a few days earlier, they had celebrated Jesus as a king. They, they were asking him to save them, and then they turned around and killed him. The community denied him. His people rejected him. And the soldiers practiced incredible violence against him. Again, we're standing there mocking him. Jesus had some things to be upset about, right? He had some cause for resentment along the way. And yet, he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. As he's going through the process of dying, he asks that God would forgive these people for what they've done to him. And it made me ask or or consider the question, like, what if letting go of resentments is actually the way that we move from the old world into something new? What if letting go of the pain of the past and actually practicing forgiveness isn't just something that we should applaud in Jesus, but what if it was actually a model that he was showing us for how we can leave the old patterns of our life and how we can step in to something new? Because I can imagine that the path of life with Jesus is wide enough for us to walk through but it may not be wide enough to walk through carrying all of our baggage, all of our resentment, all of our grudges. And so often we're held back from stepping into something new that God wants to do because we want to hold on to all of that stuff that weighs us down. I would put it this way, that I think releasing resentments from the past is the only way to live in the future. That to start, you have to let go of that stuff to be able to step in to the something new that God wants to do. And look, I know, forgiveness is a church topic, right? It's like, oh, real creative, Eric. We're talking about forgiveness in a Christian church. I've never heard of that one before. And it can be easy uh, maybe to celebrate forgiveness, but to kind of shrug it off, at least if you're like me, to be like, yeah, good idea. I agree with forgiveness. But if we can be honest, isn't it true that forgiveness is incredibly hard? It's incredibly easy to receive. It's a gift to be let off the hook, but it's incredibly difficult to practice. It's incredibly difficult to actually forgive other people because, again, if we're honest, the truth is resentment is one of life's guilty pleasures, isn't it? 
Like, have you ever done this thing before where somebody does something to you? Maybe it was big, maybe it was small. Somebody upsets you, and you don't say anything in the moment, but you're like driving home, and you start having the conversation that you wish you would have had in your head, right? Is it just me? Like, maybe you get back to your room, and you like rehearse it in front of the mirror, and you're like, well, you know, you ought to blah, 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 and like you're getting all charged up, and you're getting into it, and it feels good, doesn't it? It feels good in that moment to like get a little resentment in the system and to like let yourself lean in, and I would imagine as you're having that perfectly rehearsed conversation in your head, that what you picture doing is going to that person who hurt you, saying all of those perfectly crafted digs that you just came up with, and you're picturing like your friends around you, right? Like going, yeah, get them, like like, do it, yeah, say it again, like you show them, because it feels kind of good, if we're honest, to let a little resentment into the system from time to time, and I would be willing to bet, again, if you were honest with yourself, if you reflected back on the past couple of years, you've probably picked up a few resentments along the way. You've probably picked up some pain or some wounds along the way. I mean, has anybody let you down over the past couple of years? Anybody not show up the way that you expected them to show up for you? Has, uh, have any of your friendships changed? Now, maybe they didn't even do anything wrong. They're just not there like they once were. They don't, you don't interact like you once did. And if you're honest, you feel a little bit of resentment. You have a little bit of a grudge towards that relationship changing. Maybe your family broke over the pressure of the past few years, and things aren't the way that you know that they should be or could be. Maybe you're carrying that with you. Maybe your family dynamic has changed. Maybe you carry resentment for some of the political extremism we've seen, whether it's them or them, right? Like, like maybe you're just so charged up and you're so convinced that they are the problem, whoever they are, and you just live with that and you just carry it with you. To be honest, maybe the church hurt you over the past few years because we haven't exactly been spotless either. Maybe you carry some baggage with your experience of church, your experience of religion or faith, here's the thing that I want you to consider today. Does carrying that stuff really work? Right? Does, does holding a grudge really work? Does holding resentment really help you move forward, really help you move past the thing that happened? Does it really heal you? Or does it just keep you stuck? Because some of us, we've held grudges for a long time, which I think would indicate that it doesn't work. Right, Because you're just repeating it and repeating it and reliving it and reliving it, and you're still stuck in the pain of that. Some of us make decisions in our present day that are shaped by things that happened years ago, shaped by things in our past that we can't get past, that we can't get over, and it continues to affect us. And here is the unfortunate truth about holding on to the past. It's that the longer that you hold on to a grudge, the longer the grudge has a hold on you. The longer that you hold on to resentment, the longer resentment is going to hold on to you and it's going to shape you. And here's my hope for today as we keep going. It's that you could actually break free from holding on to the past. That if you're carrying that stuff, if you feel the weight of wounds that you haven't forgiven and that you haven't set free, that today might be the day that you could realize there is a path towards freedom. That you don't have to carry that with you into the future, into the next thing that God has for you. That you can't carry the old stuff with you and step into the something new that God has for you. And that you could wake up to the reality that the only person who's hurt by holding a grudge and holding resentment is the person holding the grudge and holding the resentment. That it's not doing anything to the person who hurt you. It's just holding you back. And it's just getting you to repeat that cycle again and again. And that's why in the recovery community, right, 12-step programs, resentment is like the number one enemy. Because they know, like, it all starts out with this community of grace where, where you can express and be open about the fact that you're broken, which that's a beautiful picture too. Uh, But then it quickly moves into realizing that if those people, people who struggle with addictions, live out their resentments, they continue to repeat them, they hold on to those grudges, it is one of the greatest triggers for them to continue to 
fall into that cycle of their past behavior. Repeating that past pain gets them back in that cycle of that past behavior that they're trying to break free from. And here's what I want you to do today with me. I want to invite you to consider the possibility of letting go of your pain, of letting go of your resentment, and actually stepping in to something new that God wants to do. And to show you how that's possible, we're actually going to go just a little before Easter. And I want to remind you of the power of the cross, the power of what Jesus did as he hung on that cross and as he died for you and died for me and expressed forgiveness for those who were abusing him. Because Jesus' death on the cross is a means for our forgiveness. You may have heard that before, that Jesus' death on the cross makes it possible for you to not be guilty or found guilty for the broken things that you've done, that you don't have to be defined by the mistakes that you've made, that Jesus, knowing you, knowing what you've done, says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. And he wants to set you free from that defining you. He wants to call you a child of God, and there's nothing that you can do that can overcome that. There's nothing that you can do, there's nothing too bad that you can do that can overcome God's grace and God's mercy for you as it was expressed on the cross. But here's the thing that I think a lot of us need to get. It's that that grace and that forgiveness wasn't just extended to you, but it's intended to flow through you as well. Another way to say that is that forgiven people forgive. That if we really understand the debt that has been paid on our part, Right? The mistakes that we've made that we get away with for free <laughs> because grace is free. If we really understood what it meant that we've been forgiven, our natural response would be to offer that same forgiveness and that same freedom to other people as well. And if forgiveness is the thing that breaks the power of grudges, forgiveness is the thing that can set you free from your past so that you're able to move forward and step into God's future. And so again, forgiveness is one of those topics I think in church that it's easy to agree with, right? It's easy to think, yeah, that's good. That, I like when I experience that. But how do we actually do it? How do we actually move forward with it? Well, this is a question that Jesus' followers have been wrestling with for thousands of years. And so the Apostle Paul, this guy who planted churches in the first century, he actually wrote a letter to the church in Rome. And in that letter, he spells out a little bit of the dynamic of what it looks like to actually not just receive forgiveness, but to practice forgiveness. And I'm gonna walk you through just five verses where he talks about what this could look like. He starts out like this. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And so right from the start, Paul makes an important distinction. Sometimes we're tempted in letting go of our past. We're tempted to brush it under the rug. We're tempted to just pretend it didn't happen or to minimize the hurt that we felt. And Paul's saying, no, 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 we should call evil evil, right? Like whatever hurt you, whatever happened to you, that was evil and it shouldn't have happened. But that doesn't mean that you should repay evil with evil. He's saying we don't have to ignore it. We don't have to minimize it. It's not just like, hey, be happy and move forward. Call it evil. But he's saying there's a different pathway. There's a different way that we can move forward. And then he starts to spell out how we do that. He says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. Just real quick, like test, based on that verse, based on what Paul is saying is true, whose job is it to avenge you? Whose job is it to like get revenge for the wrongs that have happened to you? It's God's. It's God's job. We don't like that right? Because again, it feels good to have a little resentment in the system. It feels good to enact some justice sometimes. And we're like, no, no, that's not fair. But here's what 
Paul is saying. He's saying that sometimes we don't let go of grudges. We let those grudges hold on to us. We let resentment get its hooks in us because we feel like if we say no or we forgive that person, then we're letting them off the hook, right? They're getting away with it. They're getting away with the evil. We're acting like it didn't matter. But Paul's saying, no, 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 that's not the case. It's just not your job to be the one who enacts justice. Your job is to pursue peace. And God's job is to enact justice and to ultimately set things right. And we're actually going to talk about that more in a future week as we talk about what it means for us to bring justice into this new world, into this new thing that God is doing. But the point is it's not our job to be the ones who set things right. It's our job to live out things set right inside of us, that we've received forgiveness. And so we pursue peace towards everyone that we can. And he goes on. He says, on the contrary, right? Don't seek revenge. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. That sounds kind of funny, right? You're like, I don't know, food and drink sounds good to me. Like, I don't think that's a painful thing, Paul. Like, but here's the point. He's saying, no, 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 no. The thing that evil wants in this world is more evil to exist, right? The, the, the thing that the person hurt you probably wants is a rise out of you, right? Like, like the cycle tends to feed itself, and the temptation is for us to harm our enemies. And in this upside-down kingdom kind of way, Paul is saying, no, 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 no. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, Give them something to drink because in doing this, you break the cycle. You break the cycle. You stop that resentment from continuing to hold you captive and you end the evil that they may have done. You stop it from happening. And instead, if you fall into it again, you're just perpetuating it. And we all have seen this happen, right? We see this happen in our world all the time. Somebody gets hurt, so then they start hurting somebody else. And on and on and on this cycle goes. But Paul and ultimately Jesus is saying, Another world is possible. There's another way that we can navigate this. That forgiveness is not this passive thing that we do where we let people off the hook. Forgiveness is active and it's aggressive when we aggressively love people in ways that they don't deserve. When we aggressively give people what they haven't earned. And he sums it up in this way. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. Do not be overcome by evil in this world, but instead overcome evil with good. So the invitation today is really simple, my friends. It's simple, but it's costly. And first, for some of us in the room today, maybe you didn't know this was possible for you, right? Maybe you walked in here carrying pain from your past, carrying shame from the mistakes that you've made, or, or carrying brokenness, and you feel like that mistake that you made is always going to define you. You feel like that thing that you were caught up in, or maybe still caught up in, is always going to define you. Jesus says otherwise. Because Jesus on the cross looks at you in your sin, in your brokenness, and he says open-heartedly, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And he wants to set you free from that. So for some of us in the room today, the simple response that we need to make is to receive forgiveness. It's to receive forgiveness. Often the hardest person to forgive is ourselves, right? And so maybe for you, that's your starting point today. It's to recognize that there is a God who loves you, who made you good and who wants to set you free from the brokenness that you may have fallen into, who wants you to be free from this cycle of evil feeding evil and hurt feeding hurt, but he actually wants to show you that another world is possible. And if that's you today, man, I would love to have a conversation with you about what that could look like. 
And so the easy thing you can do is like, I mean, you can just come find me after the service. I won't bite, I promise. Uh, or if that's intimidating, you can stop by the green tent and you can fill out a connection card and just say you want to talk and I would love to meet up and I would love to have a conversation about what it could look like for you to experience that freedom and that grace that I believe is possible for you. Just a sidebar, for some of us in the room, maybe your next step, uh, you've received that forgiveness but you haven't really like told anybody or lived it out. We're uh, working on planning our next baptism coming up. And I think baptism is such an incredible portrait of what it looks like to leave the old world and to step into something new. Like, like when we bring people under the water, we're essentially saying that brokenness, that mistake, that past, whatever it was, it's going under the water and it's not coming back out. And when we rise, it's just like we rise with Jesus into new life, into new possibility. And so maybe for you today, your next step is to say, hey, I'd like to learn more about baptism. I'd like to take that step in my faith. And again, you can stop by the green tent and let us know about that. But for others of us, right, maybe you've received grace. Maybe you believe that you're forgiven. Then here's the call on our lives. It's to not just receive it, but it's to actually practice forgiveness too. Right? It's to not just receive it for you, but it's to let it flow through you and to extend it to others around you. And you know what's crazy? It is This is what the community known as the church has always been. It's been broken people, acknowledging their brokenness, being met with grace, and then extending that grace to the world around them. This is how the new future that God wants to exist happens. It's when we break the cycle of the old and are willing to embrace and step into something new. It's what God wants to do in and through each and every one of us individual. It's what I believe God wants to do through us corporately as well. And so just as we wrap up, uh, really quickly, I want to remind you of the guy who penned those words we looked at at the very beginning, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, and the old has gone and the new has come. That was written by the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul wasn't always the Apostle Paul. In fact, his story is introduced to us as a guy named Saul of Tarsus. And Saul was a really good religious person. Right? Saul, in fact, he brags about it. He talks about how he got the law right. He knew everything he was supposed to know. He did everything that he was supposed to do. And eventually he got close to the high priest. And so then this little movement started up uh, known as the way, the Jesus movement. These people who were saying that, that this man Jesus rose from the dead, which they, he knew was crazy, right? That can't be possible. And so he started persecuting this little group known as the way, or as we know them, the church, right? Christians. He starts persecuting them. He starts actually having them put to death. He, he starts doing awful things by our standards from our perspective, he's deputized by the high priest to end this movement. And in fact, that is the very thing that he was doing when he met Jesus. The resurrected Jesus shows up to Paul, and he shows up in this mysterious way, but Paul, who was killing Christians, became one. And it's recorded in the book of Acts, and this journey that he was on, the road to Damascus is what it's often referred to as. And I actually had a print uh, that illustrates this moment uh, that was in my office for a while. I don't have it up here because it feels a little intense for a movie theater. But it's this picture of the moment where Paul realized he was on the wrong path. Right? He heard the voice of Jesus saying, why do you persecute me? And he had this encounter with God that changed everything about him. Paul, I'm sorry, Saul, the murderer, became Paul the apostle. And he went on and he was radically changed. And again, it was so radical that when he first came around some of the other church leaders, they're like, whoa, 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 we can't let this guy in. Like, we know what he does. We know what he's done. He had a past. He had a history. Maybe you do too. But it wasn't too much for God to forgive. It wasn't too much for God to set him free from. And it wasn't 
too much for God to use him to introduce something new into the world, this movement known as the church that we're still learning from and growing together in today. So just as we wrap up with that story in mind, and maybe with your story in mind too, I want you to hear about the perspective that Paul had on this new world that's possible in and through us, despite where you've been, if we choose to practice forgiveness. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. And all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We therefore are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. And friends, today I implore you on God's behalf. Be reconciled to God and be a reconciler for others, right? Be reconciled to God, receive forgiveness and practice forgiveness. And in that way, set yourself free from your past and make it possible for you to step into God's future, the new thing that he has for you. Because grudge holding is how you live in the past, but forgiveness is the path to the future. So let me pray for you to that end. God, this is one of those topics that, can feel easy to agree with, but difficult to practice. And so I pray for my friends here today who, who want to do that, right? Who want to nod along, who want to agree, who want to say yes, that they would do more than just agree, but that they would actually practice and live this out in their lives. God, I pray for, for the hurt that's in the room, for the wounds that maybe still feel open, that, that it feels too difficult to actually do this with. God, I pray that you would bring healing. God, that first that we could receive your forgiveness. And God, I pray for the person in the room who doesn't know that that's possible. God, just ambush them with your grace and mercy in this moment and let them know that a different life is possible, that they don't have to be defined by their worst moment, that they can be defined by you and who you say that they are. And God, I pray for those of us in the room who maybe have received that gift but struggle to extend it to others. God, help us to be people who don't perpetuate this cycle of evil for evil, but help us to be these upside-down kingdom people who bring goodness in the face of evil, who bring new creation, in the face of the old pattern. And God, help us to be people who are set free from the things that weigh us down so we can be people who embrace what you want us to embrace as we step into the future together. We pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.